The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Oh boy, all right. Good evening. Oh, it is good. Man, I couldn't wait to come be with you guys and be in the presence of the Holy Spirit and lift up the name of Jesus and worship him. Can I hear an amen out there? Oh, Lee, what in the world? What a week. What a week. Um, And, you know, so much is happening. I don't really have a lot to say about it other than that in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to pray. I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to say this weekend? I think the message is perfect for what's going on in the world, what's going on in our church and everything else I'll share with you in just a moment. But um, I really believe that, uh, well, the Lord gave me this uh, scripture. A scripture came to mind. I started, you know, thinking about not only uh, this week, but maybe kind of the recent time going back even into last year. And I think we've all felt, uh, you know, this kind of a pall or oppression or darkness. Um, And, you know, the children of Israel had experienced that literally, personally, generationally for about 400 years. And God said, I have heard your cry and the hour has come. I am coming down from heaven. I'm coming to deliver you with a mighty hand. Now, it was a process uh, because he had a servant. He said, Moses, now you go to that guy, Pharaoh, and you tell him, let my people go. But God also warned Moses, now when you tell him, let my people go, he's going to resist. He's not going to let go. So I do believe that God is, you know, our deliverer. And so let's, I'm going to park politics far away right now. I want to talk biblically to you, uh, the Lord and the whole prayer that we pray on a daily basis, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to get our eyes upward and he wants to get our eyes on heaven. And ultimately from Genesis and then all the way to the book of Revelation, when Jesus brings his kingdom He's literally from heaven, from the position of all power and all authority and all glory, and Jesus is risen and ascended and seated at the right hand. He's commanding, we're in the last final moments where he is commanding the devil and all his demons, let my people go. Amen? Amen. Now, that's, look, the devil's going to resist for a little while, and so... (laughs) God had 10 plagues for Pharaoh and for, you know, the people that were going to try to hold on to them. So they had gone through those 10 plagues. Finally, the big day comes. They get delivered. Uh, You know, the story, uh, the Passover, and now the nation has been finally rocked to the core and they're let go. But, you know, they went. So there's two and a half million of them. They're not an army. They're not a you know, some group, uh, they're just people. They're moms and dads and grandpas and grandpas, uh, grandmas and little boys and girls, and there's two and a half million. They got what little bit of stuff they have, and the Egyptians helped them. Yeah, please go fast. You know, they, they were done with all that. But where do, they, where do they end up? They get trapped. They get trapped, and there is mountains on this side. They can't go left. 
and then there's mountains on this side, they cannot go right. And when they look over their shoulder, Pharaoh changed his mind and he's coming after them to, you know, get them and wipe them out so they can't go backwards. And in front of them is this red sea that seems impassable. So I said, wait a second. God, you delivered us for this? To be trapped? We can't go left. We can't go right. We cannot go backwards. And it doesn't seem that we can even go forward. And I want you to uh, think of this scripture, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, because Moses gave the word of the Lord then, and I believe it rings true now. Here's what he said. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, everybody stand up. He said, stand still. So we're going to stand up and we're going to open this time of uh, the word and prayer. So we're standing. <laughs> because basically there's nothing else we can do. Lord, we're standing here. We feel trapped. We cannot go left, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but... We can't go right either. They didn't fix anything. And we sure don't want to go backwards to 2020. But we're at an impasse. Now, here's the deal. Exodus 14, 13. So Moses said 3,000 years ago, and I'm saying to you tonight, stand still in 2021, right here, right now, tonight. Yeah, and you're the first ones to hear this all weekend. So God bless Saturday night. I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. I mean, <clears throat> stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Guess what the Hebrew word for salvation is in that context? Salvation. Yeshua. Did you know that in Hebrew, Moses said, stand still and see Yeshua, the Lord. So what I think God is telling us is, so here's my word, and I'm preaching to myself. By the way, my best sermons are always the ones I preach to myself, which is basically every week. You think, man, he seems especially fired up. What's going on? I'm preaching to myself. So the Lord has said, so, you know, through Moses, stand still and get your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at politics. Don't look at horrible circumstances. The only way to look up is up. And look unto him. So will you, by the way, in your little groups, I know we're separated out, uh, you know, so, but lay hands on one another or those you have come with, let's lay hands on one another. It's very important that we experience the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, you're a mobile carrier of the Holy Spirit, and there is something about tangible comfort that comes. The Bible says, lay hands on one another, pray for the sick, and they will recover. So, Father, we come before you tonight, and I thank you for this word and this picture. We... We can't go anywhere, and we, we can't do anything but look up, and we look unto Jesus, Yeshua, you're our Savior. And then, Lord Moses, you told him, okay, what are you griping and complaining about? Lift your rod that I gave you, and 
put it over toward that Red Sea, and you wait and you watch. I'm going to split that thing down the middle, and all two, two and a half million of you, from the oldest to the littlest, are going to walk right in the middle of that river, that sea, Red Sea, and you're going to walk on dry ground, and I'm going to do it not only for you and in your eyes, but I'm going to let Pharaoh and all the Egyptians and the horses and the chariots, they're going to watch. You go across on dry land. And ultimately, I'm drawing them to chase after you into a trap. So God, we thank you that you're, you're ready, and I'm talking spiritually tonight, prophetically, you're ready to trap the enemy and to close in on him and to save your people for such a time as this. So may your grace be upon us in a mighty way. Thank you, Lord. We're ready to hear your word in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, be seated. And open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31. So that was a little free, extra little sermon that you got right before this one. But I got another one. We're going to just go through Acts chapter 9, pick up where we left off, the amazing story of the Apostle Saul. Verses, just a few verses, 26 through 31. The title of the message tonight is A Word of Great Hope. How many of you could use a word of hope tonight? <laughs> Woo! Well, you know what? This is why we read the Bible every day because it's filled with words of hope. Stop reading the news and read the Word of God. Amen? Okay, so now we're going to look at verses uh, 26 through 28. And this is a time when fear gripped the early church. So look, we're going to be stepping into a pattern. So be listening because what happened to the early church is what's happening to the modern church. And there is something that God has to say to us in that. So verse 26, it says, And when Saul, so this is after he, he got saved in the Damascus Road experience, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried... To join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Well, I wonder why. He just killed a few of them and chased them and beat them and threw them in jail. What's to be afraid of? And he did not. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Okay, so we're going to stop there for just a moment. Here's what I want to say to you. Uh, number one, tonight, God is full of surprises. He's always full of surprises. I want to say this. Jesus turns things around. Yes, he does. And I believe, because I believe the Bible, I, you know, it's been a horrible last year going into this year. It just seems crazy. But I know this. We serve a God who, he, he does surprising things. And Jesus turns things around. And we need that kind of hope and expectancy right now because of our world, our families, our loved ones, our work, our personal lives. But hear my voice, Jesus turns things around. Amen. 
Now, one of the most devastating things that happens, you know, we, we admit we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that because our first parents, Adam and Eve, blew it and sinned, and they didn't believe God, they didn't believe his word, they did their own thing, and then they suffered the consequences. But God didn't kill them, but he made a provision for them. And look, we can't, you know, you read the story and you go, man, have you ever thought to yourself, Why? I wish, I wish Adam and Eve had never sinned. How many wish that? But we can't get too angry with them because we all, we're all sinners. We have all sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. So we, you know, throw us into the garden. We would have done the same thing. So God is amazing in his grace. But in a fallen, broken world, there is something that one of the greatest tools, one of the greatest uh, darts, if you will, of the enemy is fatalism. What I mean is it's the feeling that now you're, you're in a horrible place in life and nothing is ever going to change. It's never going to get better. Uh, and from now on, in fact, it's not only bad today, as you think about the future, it's going to get worse. Now, the enemy loves throwing in, you know, we think those thoughts on our own. And when we get, you know, depressed and we start spiraling and looking inward and our eyes are not on the Lord and the enemy picks up that, oh, they're kind of discouraged. They're depressed. They're down on the world. They're down on themselves. And he's just throwing like chum into the water. He just feeds all of that. He loves fatalism. It's been this way for as long as I can remember. It's not going to change and it will probably even get worse. But I want you to know this. In those moments where we feel like the children of Israel trapped, know this. Because we just heard that the Lord opened the Red Sea. They did cross over on dry land. God did protect them from the enemies, pursuing them from behind. They did go through the wilderness. They did go into the promised land, and God had a destiny and a future and a calling, and ultimately a King David, and ultimately the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world. Amen? So, look, the, the truth is that the future with Jesus is nothing but bright. And the best days are not those who are behind us, but our best days are moving forward. We are, we're like on a little track, and we keep, you can't repeat or relive or go back to yesterday. It's kind of like a current. You, we are where we are. We're in 2021. We can't go back even if we wanted to. So we're moving forward. But let me tell you where the current is leading us, where it is taking us, whether you feel it or not, and that is that it is, we're, we're on a track and we're ultimately moving irresistibly to heaven. That's where we're going. The Lord Jesus is full of surprises. I'm going to turn this up. Whoops. Okay, if it's all the way. Uh, he's full of surprises. You know, um, I don't know. I heard about this guy a long time ago. I'm going to mention it to you because I heard about this guy named Don Piper. He's a pastor. And he was actually at a, a pastor's conference with a bunch of other pastors to get encouraged so that they could go and minister to their flocks and get new ideas and encouragement and fellowship and prayer and all of that. He's driving home in his little car, and there was a, 
a, a convict that was, I don't know, had this big semi and he's barreling down. He does not see the little pastor in his little car and he runs him over, severs his right arm, severs his right leg or his left leg, whatever. And it, it's literally his, his leg is severed. It's hanging by flesh and his right arm by flesh. And uh, so anyway, it's called, so that's a horrible story, Pastor, why are you telling us this? The, okay, the, the, the message, you can look it up on YouTube, but I just watched it this last week. It's called 90 Minutes in Heaven. Don Piper, hear this guy's story. He goes, I died. He goes, I, I didn't see the crash. I didn't feel the crash. He goes, all I remember is I was driving, you know, home from this conference and in a split second I was before a gigantic pearly gate that was so beautiful and the light flashing so brightly it looked like the gate itself was alive I heard songs he said you know usually you have to hear one song at a time because if you have two songs they kind of go against each other he goes I was hearing thousands of songs but it all flowed together, and it was this beautiful worship that came upon you, vibrated into you, flowed through you, circled around, and came back in again like a rushing mighty wind. He was just like, he said to breathe was like being set free and strength. He said, now the pearly gate was big. He said, but I noticed that the gate was very small and narrow. Big gate, but narrow. He said, just like Jesus said, the gate is narrow. And that means you've got to go through Jesus Christ. Then he saw all these family and friends and all the rest of it. But I, I share that with you because it's such a beautiful, powerful testimony. We're on our way to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Brothers and sisters, we are on our way to heaven. And we want to take as many as we can with us. And it's not going to be long before we are there. But I want to say this, God is not predictable. Life is not a machine. <laughs> Life is a drama. And the author of this story, the Lord Jesus Christ, loves to come in himself. And he comes in over and over and over again. So I want to say this. So the children of Israel, there they are, standing before the Red Sea and trapped in everything else. When we feel fatalistic, when we have lost hope, know this. Those are the times when you look up and see Jesus. Those are the days of visitation. What I'm saying to you is, don't be, look, and it's hard, you know, we're, we're, talk about the unfolding drama politically that's very depressing and dark. But I want you to know, look up, because that's only a sign. This is a pattern that's in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament where when it seemed absolutely the worst, the Lord Jesus divinely would intervene and reveal himself in a divine visitation of liberation, freedom, joy, direction. It's like you're like, whoo, hallelujah, Lord. Amen? This Saul who was breathing threats and murder against the believers... You know, it does not drop dead in judgment, but God turns him around and he becomes the most radical believer in sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look with me again in verse 26. So when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him 
and they did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought he, he's lying to us. We know who this guy is. And he's just trying to trap us so we can get into our meetings and then he'll turn us in or throw us in jail or who knows worse. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I love this. Um, Paul really got saved. Paul really saw Jesus. We know and are familiar with the story, but the early church, they didn't know that. And they did not believe that. And what I want you to know is, I think Saul, now that his eyes were open, he had a hunger for fellowship. He wanted to be with, he was probably learning uh, from the stories of Ananias in Damascus. Let me tell you about the disciples, Peter, James, John, Matthew, and he was hearing all these stories of, of all that had just recently happened. And so I was like, I gotta go to Jerusalem. I wanna meet those men and be encouraged. But the Greek word used here, tried, means he tried repeatedly. Meaning they said, no thank you, don't wanna meet you. Uh, they found reasons or excuses. So Saul had to try and try and try. And I think his past haunted him, and the believers would not accept him. And so he had to fight in order to stay in fellowship. Now, I think there's an application for us. Not only the virus and all the rest of it, distancing, and we're separated, and then, I mean, if that's bad enough. That alone would be enough to tangle with. But on top of it, we have all these other challenges with our government, with our economy, with the future, with our kids, with schools, uh, you know, all of these things that are upon us. And so we're, we feel very isolated. Let me just say this to you. We have, by the way, those who are, we welcome those who are watching online. Would you welcome the family that's watching online? We have people all across the country, various parts of the world. And I want you to know this, um, that we have, a, you know, home Bible studies, they're called growth groups. And there are a number of them that are called, uh, they're, they're kind of sermon-based. So we have over 100 of them, and I don't know how many of them are sermon-based, but basically what they do is we've got about, a, you know, 100 different groups that are meeting together. And I want to, so what I want to do is take a moment and encourage you guys, just as Saul had a radical transformation, a great story, but he felt alone, he needed fellowship, and he had to fight to get fellowship, he had to fight through to get accepted or to find a group, let alone the disciples that would receive him. And I wanna encourage you to belong. It's great that you come to church, but it's also, you need a, a smaller group with one or two handfuls of people, say a dozen, 10 to a dozen, of men and women that will help you, that will encourage you, that will bless you, minister to you, that you can share with them what's going on in your life, and you become family. And I believe that these home groups, with everything going on in the world, you know, we know that that's basically the growth of explosion in the church in China. We know that's the pattern of explosive growth happening in Iran, and now we feel like things have turned a little bit for what's going on for the church in America. But God has great plans and purposes for it, but we need to be with one another. So you can go online and you can, you know, sit down and say, hey, so you remember we're going through the story and about Saul and he's talking about this or that. I just want to say you can spend time 
in fellowship, diving deeper and asking questions and saying, so what did you think about this? Or when we read this passage or this story or this whatever, miracle, or what does it really mean to your, you know, identity is in Christ. Can, I, you know, I love that phrase, but what does it really mean? And you can be in a small group of believers that can help work that in. So I want to encourage all of you to do that. Now look with me in verses 29 and 30. And the, the model here is we're going to, now Saul finally, he kept trying until he finally was in fellowship with the disciples there in Jerusalem. And we find out we are to preach Jesus boldly. This is what Saul did. Verse 29, it says, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. So the Hellenists are basically Jews but they are Greek-speaking. So they are Jews that decided, nah, we're not going to do the Jewish culture and speak Hebrew or even dress in the Hebrew uh, clothing, but they were like modern for the time. They were modern Jews. We're culturalized. We speak Greek. We read the Greek poets, and um, we speak Greek, and we give our children Greek names, but we're Jews. And for some reason, they, they could not handle Paul. So they'd left probably a, not only their culture and their language, their traditions, but they had left probably the word of God a little bit. So that, who's this guy, Saul, and he's talking about the Messiah? Do we even believe in a Messiah anymore? So they were having a real tough time. And, and in fact, they so rejected his message, they attempted to kill him. <laughs> that, that is always a sign that, that, that is not good. When they're so against what you're saying, like, we're going to kill you. <laughs> and that's what happened with Paul, or Saul. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now, so they found out, wow, they, these guys are serious, Saul. They're looking for you. They're after you. And they're so, you know, their reaction, this is demonic, by the way. When people get so agitated that to shut up what they are hearing, they say the only way I can shut you up is to literally murder you, assassinate you, or kill you. That's demonic. So the disciples had to say, hey, Saul, you know, bro, you're doing a great job, and, but we're going to keep preaching here, but you got to get out of here. They know who you are. They know your pedigree. They know you're a Hebrew, and you're, you're a Pharisee, and you're rocking their world You've done good. You've started things off. We'll continue on. You, and you need to go to Tarsus. Where is Tarsus for Saul? Saul is known as Saul of Tarsus. What they're saying is it's time, Saul, for you to go home. There are times in our lives where, and, and look, th there can be many applications of this, but there are times when you're getting a lot of blowback where the Lord says it's time for you, my son, my daughter, go home. Go home. And, and you can imagine that spiritually, for each one of God's children, we need to, when we're in trouble, we need to go home with the Lord. We need to go home to our first love. We need to go home to what we believed when we first received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So why was Saul found preaching uh, here in Jerusalem. Number one, because his life was so transformed he couldn't keep quiet. That's a good sign. I can't stop talking about Jesus. That's the first thing. But number two, I think he still felt guilty over Stephen's death that he held the coats of the people there in Jerusalem. And I believe that Saul, one of the reasons he wanted to go to Jerusalem is I want to meet Peter, 
James, John, and those who lived with Jesus for three, three and a half years. But I think there was an ulterior motive. He wanted to go back to the place, finally, where he had been a Pharisee with a poisoned mind, rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, and he had helped to assassinate that young man, Stephen. And he wanted to go back to Jerusalem and say, what I did was wrong. And everything that I believed in is wrong. And the one that I was against, Yeshua of Nazareth, when I said that he wasn't the Messiah, he is. And when I declared to you that he was dead and still buried, I was wrong. I saw him with my own eyes on the road to Damascus. He wanted to ask forgiveness. He needed to go home and he needed to repent and he needed to get things right in his life. So I love this because the major theme here is Saul's unwavering faithfulness to Jesus, despite all the trials, but he did. He did end up going home. Now look with me in verse 31. So after we hear this, wow, Saul, he's in Damascus, then he goes to Jerusalem, he meets the brethren, he gets some fellowship, he's preaching boldly, but then we read in verse 31, and then the churches throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Wow. I want to say this. The church was given peace, number one, and number two, it was encouraged. Now, the word peace here is an active verb. It's not passive. It means the early messianic community was in a continuous state of peace. Can I hear an amen on that? How many of you would love to walk in a continuous state of peace? Why? Did they walk in a continuous state of peace? Well, for one thing, because the Lord had stopped the persecution by getting their number one enemy of persecution saved. Woo! Radically turned him around. Their number one enemy turned around to become their number one advocate and defender. Now, all of us in this world have enemies. How many of you would love to see your number one enemy turned around upside down and your biggest defender thinking that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread? Can I hear an amen? That's what the Lord can do. But there was another reason why there was peace because there, here the church was undergoing tremendous persecution. And then, so number one, God saved their number one enemy, turned him around. But there's a second thing that happened and this was in world events. The Roman Emperor Caligula was attempting, he got fascinated with Israel. I mean, what a tiny little country. The world is sometimes obsessed with Israel. It doesn't make any logical sense. The only explanation is, it's God. It's God's land. It's where God sent his son. It's the source and ground of spiritual battle between the Lord and the devil himself. It's holy ground. So anyway, here's this guy far away in Rome, Caligula, the emperor. He gets obsessed with the Jews. And he says, they don't worship like even other pagans and other gods. And they have hundreds of gods and goddesses. But those Jews, they say, there's only one God. No, I am God. So he became obsessed with, I want to make an image and a statue of myself, 
and I want to put it in their holy temple in Jerusalem, and I want to force the Jews to bow down and worship me, the Roman emperor, as a god. Well, guess what? So the Jews had been, you know, focused on this, for the most part, small little messianic group uh, called the followers of the way. Later, they would be known as Christians. And they were, you know, really pursuing that. But all of a sudden, what God did is he allowed world events to take something that was so big and so huge. This was a threat to the nation. This was a threat to Judaism. This was at a whole different level. And it took their, so they said, forget about these little, you know, messianics or whatever. We got Caligula coming. He wants to put it, and so that's all the people talked about. And that's all they obsessed with. And they said, that's our number one enemy. And they turned all their time and all their talk and all their emotion and all their energy into fighting and resisting the Roman government, trying to put his heel down upon them to stop them from worshiping, which totally distracted from the battle. Formerly, their number one enemy had been believers in Jesus Christ. So what I want to say to you is, what the Lord is showing us, even in the book of Acts, 2,000 years ago in the early church, God will sometimes use big events that grab the national attention of a people so that they get all distracted in that to pull them away from what the Holy Spirit is really doing, which he, he is saving men, women, boys and girls, bringing them into the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear what I'm saying? And therefore, I believe that God is using current events that if we allow that to suck up all of our emotion and time and energy and all the rest of it, it's just a distraction. Hey, the Lord is saying, hey guys, look, there are people right now shaking in their little shoes going, what is going on? And they're vulnerable and open to someone sharing with them a word of hope and a word of deliverance, and a word of power, and a word of salvation, and a word of peace, and a word of joy, and the presence of the Spirit of the Lord. So I believe that God is using, so think of that. Don't let that take up your whole world. God is using events even now so that we can focus and get a little bit of their attention off, a little bit of the heat off. Now, the early church was doing two things. Look with me again in verse 31 as we wrap this up. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Gal Galilee, Samaria, had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So the early church was doing two things. Number one, walking in the fear of the Lord. The Greek word used there for the fear of the Lord is phobo. Uh, it's where we get our English word phobia. Uh, so, yes, it's saying we are to fear the Lord. But what does that really mean to fear the Lord? It does not mean the kind of fear that makes you shrink back and withdraw. What it really means is it's a word of awe and reverence to the power and the glory and the presence of the creator of the universe. 
So I want you to read with me uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let's read this scripture out loud together. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. So he, you know, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, a very wise and smart guy, he goes, you know what life really boils down to if you want to be successful in life? Fear the Lord. <laughs> be honest with him. And live your life knowing that you are accountable to him. Now, there's another scripture. This is only the second one. So Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. Let's read this out loud. The Lord of hosts, him you shall follow or hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your awe. I love that. This is the fear of the Lord that we are able to sense his infinite holiness and his infinite power. So I want to say this. God is totally free to come upon us with indescribable, heart-stopping suddenness and release his power and his presence and his glory so that you can't think about anything else other than the goodness of the Lord that is with you. Oh, how thankful I am to the Lord. How good it is to fear the Lord. Now, I want to tell you about another story that I saw recently, uh, Bob Weiss. <laughs> so this is different because uh, the other guy, Don Piper, I'd heard about it for years, but I never watched. And I really enjoyed his uh, testimony called 90 Minutes in Heaven. Oh, by the way, I'll tell you this about 90 Minutes in Heaven. He's in the car. He's all cut up. Four different EMT guys came up and they said he's dead. There were, three, there were four total in the wreck. And uh, the other three were not injured. He was the only one, and all four of these EMT, they said, well, the others, we don't need to do anything. There was four of them that came, and they're different vehicles, and so they came to this guy that's in the red car, and they went, oh, he's dead. And they literally covered him with a little drape because he wasn't, there was no breath, and there was nothing going on. Well, it, it created a traffic jam, so there was one of the pastors going, why can't we get across this bridge? Oh, there was an accident. Oh, I'm a pastor. Maybe I should go pray for it. He didn't know it was one of the pastors he had been at the conference with. So he goes in, the car was so smashed up, and he asked the EMT guy, he goes, hey, can, can I, I feel like the Lord told me to go pray uh, for the guy in the red car. And he goes, no, 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 you can pray for the other three, because they, they've got little minor injuries, but no, don't, don't pray for the guy in the red car. He goes, he goes, but the Lord told me to pray for the guy in the red car. And he goes, he's dead. And then the Lord said to him, why don't you pray for him anyway? So he goes, uh, can I still go pray for him? He's like, have at it, go for it. You know? So he goes, pulls a little thing, re he had to reach through all the crumpled metal and just laid his hand on his shoulder and prayed for him for, according to his watch, 90 minutes. And because he died, uh, his heart stopped beating. As you know, his arm was severed, his leg was severed, had his heart been beating, and if he had been alive, he would have bled out in about three minutes. But because he died, everything stopped and the blood stayed, and the guy prays for him for 90 minutes. And then he, at the end, after 90 minutes, he just started singing a little song, and he was getting ready to get up and leave. And, he, and then the guy under the tarp that's dead started singing with him, and it freaked him out. And he ran to the EMT. He would say, that guy's not dead. And they go, what are you talking about? He's singing. 
So anyway, so that guy, he, he wasn't trying to, he wasn't like commanding him, raising from the dead. He just was being obedient to the voice of the Lord saying, go pray for that guy, thinking of his family and what this is going to be like. And he's just there, dead as a doornail. And then he prayed for him for 90 minutes. When that guy comes back, and then he had to go through a bunch of obvious operations and stuff, he goes, I was in heaven for all 90 minutes. Is God good or what? All the time, he is good. Okay, so anyway, I don't know what I was talking about, but man, that was a, f I just love going to heaven. I can't wait to go. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. All right, number two. Uh, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is why the church was blessed. They were walking in the edification, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was flooding their hearts with a great peace. The peace of the Lord's presence, great joy, rejoicing, not in their circumstances. Rome was mean. Rome was controlling. Rome, the government, had its boot on the neck of the Jewish people. But their eyes were not on Rome, and they were not on their circumstances. They were on the Lord, and the Holy Spirit ministered to them and comforted them. And then it says that they grew and multiplied by leaps and bounds, meaning more lost people were getting saved. Woo! Okay, I just remembered the other story, and I'm just about ready to wrap it up. You want one more story? Yeah. I'm going to tell it whether you want to or not. Okay, here we go. And I, I don't know why, you know, I've heard of these stories forever. So the one guy, Don Piper, 90 minutes in heaven. Then <laughs> the other story is... 23 minutes in hell by some guy named Bob Weiss. Woo! Oh, man. Um, so anyway, I'd heard about that guy. Somehow he ends up, he's in hell, and he experiences it, and he talks about it and what it's like, and he goes, don't go to hell! And I'm not even going to describe, but let me just say, hell is hellish. It, you, you will do, and it's eternal. Because, you know, your God, you still exist. And it's torment on the many, many levels. I'll just say that. And, and you, have, you realize it's forever. Now, it was only, God only let him see it, taste it for, you know, 23 minutes. And he pulled him out. And that's his whole story, which you can hear. But, wow. On the one hand, heaven is real. Hell is real. But when we walk in the... Uh, comfort of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, we will grow, we will multiply, we will be blessed. We're in a current that is taking us to heaven in a couple of blinks. We're going to be there. And you want to bring everybody in your family and as many as you possibly can until we see Jesus face to face. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.